From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show. We're right here on today's news talk. It's Friday. I'm very excited. Although I'm in Ohio, and apparently I'm supposed to be getting about two to four inches of snow. I am not happy about this. I hate winter. I am not made for winter. I know I live in Ohio. It's a thing. Um, I would love to move someplace warm. If anybody can convince my husband of that, that would be fabulous because I really, really, really hate winter. Genuinely hate winter. Um, So hopefully we won't there's it's not uncommon for them to say we're going to get two to four inches and then we do not get anywhere near that so let's cross our fingers and our toes and hope that i do not get stuck with a bunch of snow because i don't want it um okay so quickly uh let's go over what we have coming up next week i'm very excited i'm very excited but also not excited because next week's going to be a very stressful week um so monday we have my friend colin radix carter uh he has been on before he's an activist uh also a member of uh indie news network tuesday and wednesday we have back uh, back to back same guest um it is juan passarelli and the reason why we're having him back on uh two days in a row is because he is a longtime friend of julian assange um he's a documentary filmmaker he has a film out about uh julian assange he's a good friend of mine um he is going to be on the ground in london outside the courthouse he wants to hang out with uh uh, uh, activist because that's what he does um but he is going to come on tuesday and wednesday to break down the hearings for us um give us updates on what's going on give the feel of what's happening on the ground in london all of that good stuff i'm very excited to have him um he's one of my favorite people i just adore him so uh thursday we will have uh professor david miller uh very excited as some of you may remember we had to reschedule his he was scheduled i think maybe last week or something i don't know my days blur together um and we had to reschedule that so we did get him rescheduled he will be here on thursday um and then friday my pal jesse jet is coming back to the show of course he has his album out live from the black site um so he's going to come back and hang out with us and maybe do a couple of pieces so uh very excited for that also on the assange front um it's very stressful right now so the tuesday and wednesday are the hearings um in london if you're in london and you can make it to the royal court of justice please do we need as many bodies as humanly possible we still don't know we still don't know if julian assange will be allowed to attend in person um i doubt it though let's just be honest he hasn't been permitted to attend his own hearings in person since 2020 it's very unlikely that they're going to allow him to do that um i would be shocked if they did so um uh but tuesday and wednesday are the hearings 8 30 a.m is when everybody is going to meet outside the Royal uh, Court of Justice. If you can make it there, please do. There are, of course, um, I think over 60 events happening around the globe. So uh, if you can't go to London, find an event event near you or just be an event near you. Um, also, there are tons of things that we can be doing in the days leading up to that to make noise. Obviously, you can um, make phone calls, send emails, uh, tweet like crazy. We are, in fact, going to do a tweet storm um, on Monday, February 19th. This is in collaboration and coordination. Myself and Truman from the UK um, came together to collaborate to try to get uh, a tweet storm going so monday february 19th from 3 to 6 p.m eastern i think uk time that would be 8 to 11 p.m um i think they're five hours ahead of me so uh, uh and, and if you are somewhere else in the world and you can join during that time or any time um uh assange has been trending over the last couple of days which is weird it's very rare <laughs> that happens. Usually it is shadow banned like crazy. Currently it's sitting at um, uh, almost 100,000 posts. 
um, is what it's measuring at. Uh, so we need um, we need to keep that up. And really, don't even wait until Monday. Just all weekend long, tweet about it as often as you can. Make as much noise about it as you can. Um, share different uh, sources. Uh, the Juan Passarelli documentary would be a great one to share. Uh, Kevin Gastola's book or Matt Kennard did a great explainer video years ago that's I think less than five minutes and it does a great job of kind of summarizing why people should care about the Julian Assange case. Um, and it's a little older, but it's still, uh, the information is still relevant to what's going on. So um, uh, just share as much as you can, have conversations with people, talk about this as much as you can. Um, it is, uh, it's crunch time, really. Um, again, I have my own theories about what's probably going to happen uh, after these hearings, um, but we, we just, there's no way to ever uh, predict what's going to happen. Nothing about this case. And I use the word case incredibly loosely because they don't have one. Um, but nothing about this case has ever made any sense or been predictable or anything. I mean, we have uh, numerous countries involved in the legitimate persecution of a journalist for publishing the truth. So, uh, and the 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 country leading the charge is the home of free speech, right? We're the home of the First Amendment. Um, so nothing about this case makes sense, but um, it is crunch time. We are now just a few days away from those hearings taking place and we need to make as much noise as possible moving into that. Uh, and also just a side note, by the way, um, a great journalist and longtime supporter of Julian Assange, Kit Clarenberg, was just suspended on Twitter. So thank you, Elon, for all the free speech. Appreciate that very much. Um, so if everybody can head over to Twitter and make some noise about that and see if we can't get his account reinstated. It's just so ridiculous. Um, not surprisingly, he makes Zionists very angry. So I would I would not be surprised at all if there was a mass reporting campaign uh, against his account from Zionists. That happens on a regular basis with him. So, But if he can just go make some noise, um, you know, if Elon's going to pretend that Twitter is a free speech platform, he needs to uh, stand by that. So, And he does not, certainly. Um, okay, don't forget you can follow me over on the tweeters for as long as they... <laughs> Let me post there. At Sarcasm Stardust. Uh, check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guest of the day every day with links so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea, you know the spiel. Um, hit me up uh, and I'll try to get back to you. And um, I know I just talked about getting snow, but we are approaching spring, which means activism is going to start blossoming, which I love. It's my favorite time of year. Uh, so if you have an upcoming community event, rally, march, festival, or fundraiser that could do with free publicity and and who doesn't love free publicity for their event? I love it. Uh, TNT would love to promote it for you. Visit the What's On Events calendar tab on the TNT website. Again, tntradio.live. Uh, submit your event details and we will help you get the word out, helping you make a difference on today's News Talk TNT. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. All right, here we go. Reportedly, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died in a maximum security prison in the country's far north. And even as the White House says it is still waiting on confirmation, President Biden says he already knows who's responsible. I wonder who he's going to say. Uh, here with this story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. All right, so this has been blowing up the Internet all day today. Adam, tell us about this. Well, I mean, it's an obvious answer. We all know. Well, let's all say it together. Trump. Oh, wait, no, just kidding. <laughs> Almost, though, right? Yeah, no, obviously, uh, he he, uh, he accused Russian President Vladimir Putin of uh, assassinating him. Uh, by him, of course, I mean um, Alexei Navalny, who just happens to have been a prominent critic of the Kremlin. Maybe that's the reasoning going on in Biden's little head. Otherwise, 
maybe just maybe this is all part of this ramping up of Russia bad again. And cha-ching, look, let's send some money to Ukraine. Oh, well, that's just my theory anyway. But mm -hmm. here's what the president uh, told reporters. I watched him do this live today. I managed to catch this whole thing live. Uh, I have quite a few comments about the whole thing. Um, but here's what he said. Quote, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. Make no mistake. Putin is responsible for Alexei Navalny's death. Uh, he goes on to say, quote, what has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world, end quote. Uh, Biden praised Mr. Navalny's courage, adding that, quote, he was so many things that Putin was not. He was brave. He was principled, who's dedicated to building a Russia where a rule of law existed, end quote. During his speech, President Biden urged Congress to pass the National Security Supplemental Bill, which includes, you know, $60 billion in aid to Ukraine. Just, you know, just had to throw that in there. Uh, President Biden said, uh, being critical of lawmakers for taking a two-week vacation, like he's one to talk, uh, he said, quote, it's about time they step up. They're walking away. Two weeks. What are they thinking? My God. This is bizarre, end quote. And he started to get a little irate um, when asked if the White House had any evidence of assassination. President Biden said, we don't need none of that. No, I'm just kidding. He said, quote, we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and his thugs did, end quote. Yep. Uh, Mr. Navalny, uh, age 47, of course, was a Russian opposition activist who has been the most prominent critic of Mr. Putin's government for the past decade. He collapsed and died in jail uh, today, February 16th, according to Russian officials. Uh, Mr. Navalny, a former lawyer, spoke out against government corruption and organized massive anti-Kremlin protests. He has been incarcerated since January 2021, following his return to Moscow from Germany. He received three prison sentences, totaling more than 30 years. Russian authorities reported that Mr. Navalny felt unwell after a walk in at the IK-3 penal colony in Karp, one of 700 labor camps currently operating in Russia. Uh, it's located about 1,900 kilometers, that's 1,181 miles, northeast of Moscow in the Arctic Circle. Apparently, he lost consciousness almost immediately. That's what the authorities have reported. President Biden said that he was outraged, but not surprised by the news. He said, quote, he bravely stood up to the corruption the violence and all the bad things the Putin government was doing. Even in prison, he was a powerful voice for the truth, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And he could have lived safely in exile, end quote. Uh, yep, et cetera, et cetera, Misty. But of course, so many people are pointing out, wow, where are these kind of words for people like, I don't know, Julian Assange? How about Gonzalo Lira? Uh, how about uh, look what happens to uh, John McAfee, uh, you know, so there's a lot of to be said here, but they're just using this. Now we suddenly care about things like this, Misty, when it's useful to, uh, you know, cheerlead and raise some money. Right. What do you think? 100 percent. It's useful. Right. I mean, we already see today they're using it. They're uh, using this as their little uh, launching pad to justify the 60 billion dollars they want to send to Ukraine. Uh, you know, oh, Navalny died. Let's send more money to Ukraine. It's just insane. And I have so many things I could say about this. Uh, the idea that people are trying to paint Alexei Navalny as like this hero, this brave, courageous dissenter. Dude was a 
horrible guy. He was uh, a, a racist, a fascist, part of the uh, Russian imperial movement, which is a legitimate Nazi organization. And this is the guy you're like, like waxing poetic about and lamenting the loss of Alexei Navalny. I mean, it's just mind blowing to me. And it's just, it's also disgusting because you have people like Bernie Sanders who are out here, you know, talking about how brave and courageous Alexei Navalny is. Bernie Sanders has never once said Julian Assange's name, not a single time on planet earth in since uh, Assange has been arrested. Has he even mentioned Julian Assange. So the idea that we're pretending as if Alexei Navalny was this great historic, uh, you know, courageous leader and uh, dissident is just absurd on every level. There's a whole lot of evidence to su suggest that he uh, was probably a CIA asset, almost certainly was a CIA asset. Um, and it's, I, 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 it makes no sense to me that Putin would kill him. It makes no sense to me. It, this, it smells... Uh, and pardon the pun, it smells like the Syrian gas attacks. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever, the same way it made no sense that Assad would gas his own people as he's winning the war. It makes no sense at all that Vladimir Putin would kill Alexei Navalny at this point. Navalny, uh, his approval ratings in Russia are like single digits. Putin's got like an 80% approval rating. It makes no sense that he would kill Alexei Navalny at this point. So I don't know how he died. I don't know if he's dead. Uh, we don't know. I mean, there's there's really no way to tell for, for certain. But what I I do know is that Alexei Navalny was not a good person. And now there are also people who are out here comparing him to Julian Assange. And the only thing comparable is that you could argue that they're both political prisoners. Um, and so maybe I could go along with that. But uh, the, the two are nowhere near the same type of individual. Um, and it is just so frustrating to me to watch people. Um, uh, and again, you're absolutely right. This is without question being used to justify uh, further funding of the Ukraine situation. And it is just so gross the way that they jump on this opportunity. Uh, so quickly it's just uh it makes me sick to my stomach but what do you think adam uh i think um you know uh you you said a, a certain group would not gas their their own people well uh, the cia would gas their but, own people as it mm -hmm. were so you know maybe the cia had a hand in this uh but anyways that's just the theory of course uh it's go it's it's, it's out there i didn't come up with that one by myself i promise you, you don't have um, to come up with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's, and then there's this whole, um, the Russia bad thing. Okay. He doubled down. So this was the other comment I wanted to make about this. I was watching it live. I couldn't believe it. Luckily I was seeing it on YouTube. So I was able to rewind and watch it a couple times to make sure I heard it right. A reporter, because he, he actually took questions, if you could believe it, the president wow. took questions. I know uh, he, he managed to make it through uh, without falling asleep or getting angry and storming <laughs> out in the wrong direction. Uh, but a reporter asked him about uh, the, the satellite, the Russian threat thing. And nowhere in the question did the reporter make any mention to how he responded. He immediately said his response was, look, there's no nuclear threat coming from Russia. That was his answer about a question about the space satellite thing that everyone was talking about. And I was scratching my head. I'm like, nobody said anything about a nuclear nothing, buddy. What are you talking about? So, but again, he's just injecting all this, you know, Russia, let's just load them up with, you know, Russia is so bad, so many ways so that we can give so much more money to Ukraine. Well, if he took questions, it was probably pre-selected questions, and maybe he went out of order, and the question he was asked was not the question that was on the schedule for that particular time. So maybe he was asking a different question. That's very possible. I also like that you said that um, uh, Biden said that Alexei Navalny could have lived could have lived fine in exile. You mean like Edward Snowden? 
I mean, the absolute lack of self-awareness and hypocrisy on display today is really something to behold. Not, I mean, it's not surprising uh, that this happens quite frequently, but it is really something to behold. So uh, thanks for bringing us that story, Adam. We will keep our eyes on this as it develops. And hang tight. We're going to be right back here on today's News Talk. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things, and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Really quickly before we bring in our guests, I just want to uh, quickly remind everyone that uh, TNT is going to be on the ground in London as well uh, on February 20th and 22nd covering the Assange hearings, um, uh, which is great. The more journalists and uh, coverage that we can get on the ground in London, uh, certainly the better. So uh, definitely tune in uh, to that coverage and tune into any and all coverage. Uh, we need to get as much support as we possibly can. So um, uh, thank you to TNT also for covering that. So our guest today is Mohammed Almazi. He is a fantastic fantastic journalist whose work has been featured in outlets such as Consortium News. You guys know I love Consortium News. The Dissenter, Electronic Intifada, Jacobin, and more. Um, he will be covering the Assange hearings next week in London on February 20th and 21st for The Dissenter, which is Kevin Gastola's outlet. So definitely please go check that out. Uh, and you can find links to his work over on my Substack, the write-up for today. So Muhammad, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for asking me to be here. Yeah, of course. It's been a long time since we've talked. You've been on before, but it's been ages since we've talked. And I know that you, uh, you're you going to be uh, in London um, on the 20th and 21st covering the Assange hearings. And uh, the, I wanted to talk to you, first of all, we're starting to see today um, a lot of information come out about the, uh, the process that journalists are having to go through, the hoops they're having to jump through uh, in order to get approved for either uh, being in the courtroom or just being able to observe the video link. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I know that you tweeted out uh, maybe about an hour ago that you were approved, correct, for uh, being in the courtroom? 
Yeah, that's correct. So normally you just show up if if you're a member of the public or including a member of the press and you want to uh, observe a court hearing or a trial, civil litigation, what have you, you just show up on the day and you just go into the court. What happens is in cases which there where there's expected to be a lot of interest, people will start emailing the court um, or emailing the Ministry of Justice or both. You cut out. No, you cut out there just briefly. Please continue. Okay. So uh, uh, I don't know where I cut off, but normally you just show up. But when there's lots of interest in a case, people start sending emails and calls to the Ministry of Justice press office and then to the administrative uh, court and then running around saying, "Is are there going to be tickets reserved? Sometimes they call it tickets, sometimes they call them seats. And uh, it's a the sad, uh, the irritating thing is that there isn't just an announcement that's published in advance, say a few weeks, that says, uh, due to the expected high interest in this case, we'll be reserving seats for press, so please email, and this is the procedure, and contact this address. Or if you want remote link, this is how you do it. Typically, it's in response to people putting in requests, and no one ever knows who you put it into. Right. So it's uh, I've probably sent like four or five emails in the past few weeks. And then today I, like a bunch of other people, have have gotten responses. And it's two different departments if you're asking for remote video link access versus in-person access. So, yeah, I found out at the end of the day uh, that I got both because I always ask for both when a situation like this arises, because it's, you know, you don't know till the last minute if you're going to get them. So what happens if I go to court and it turns out they reserved a bunch of seats for like New York Times, Washington Post and Reuters and I can't get in and now yeah. I'm left with no remote access or ask for remote access and the connection's terrible. This happened sometimes we can't actually hear properly what have you. And so therefore you want to be able to go in. So it's, you know, it's one of the joys of dealing with the justice system in this country generally and court reporting generally it's just made all the worse because of the nature of uh, uh julian's case but um yes more often than not i will just go to court and show up and that's it and then if you want remote link access then you just try to find somebody to email or sometimes i'll grab the judge and say i'd like permission for remote access in the trial that's coming up you know but it's only if you get lucky right and yeah i'll stand up and <laughs> try to get the judge's attention it's very convoluted and you're right it's there's no um yeah. yeah there's no rhyme or reason to it and i know that for example kathy vogan from consortium news she uh initially requested access uh approval to to get inside the court on in december so like two, mm. nearly two months ago she first uh applied and she's just now hearing back she was in fact um approved i think she's allowed to she yeah. will be allowed inside the courtroom which is great um it's good to know but i think that what i'm seeing uh generally speaking what uh, we're having the most issue with is the uh the remote access the v the video yeah. link because i've seen numerous people and including your colleague, Kevin Gastola, um, uh, who runs the dissenter, which you will be reporting for. Kevin is literally the Assange guy, right? Uh, mm -hmm. He's been covering the Assange situation since before it was the Assange situation, when it was the Manning situation. And so the idea yep. that Kevin Gastola mm -hmm. has been denied uh, access to the video link is just so frustrating to me. And he's not alone. Fox News was also denied. Landon Mion um, from Fox News was denied, who is one of the one of very few in mainstream media who regularly covers 
the Assange situation. So um, I know that there many people are um, uh, just now, and it's very frustrating to me, Mohammed, as well, that there this is very last minute, right? A lot of people are already have already traveled to London thinking they would be able to cover it and are now getting uh, uh, their request denied, right? Oh, I don't know, but uh, I hope not. I mean, uh, for people that I knew that were coming here, I told them explicitly. So the number of people that I've been in communication with other journalists, and I said, make sure that if you're planning on coming, tell them that if you're requesting video link access, that you're coming or even in-person access, that you're coming to London and that you'll be physically based in England. So something that I've never seen before, I mean, may have happened in other cases. It's just the first time that I've I've experienced it is after a bunch of people started sending email requests um, uh, about remote access and, and what have you, the judges in the case issued, uh, who will be hearing the case, issued a court order, say, in relation to remote access. And part of it said, um, in, a se in, in a nutshell, there is a presumption against anyone getting remote access if they're not based in England or Wales. So that includes, by the way, Scotland and the north of Ireland, which form part of the UK. Um, yeah. And obviously the United States, Europe, Australia, anywhere else. And then there's a section of it where if you if if you are outside of England or Wales, then um, you should present an argument as to why it's in the interests of justice that you should be granted access. And I've never seen that before because covering this case since 2019, both in person in court and also sometimes via video link, I've seen people from you know, the states from Australia, from France, who've attended via video link. I know because I'll see them, many of them I know, right? So, no, I'm not aware of anybody, I hope it hasn't happened, I'm not aware of anybody who's who's arrived in England and had it denied. I think most people, as long as they can show they've got some kind of press accreditation, that's the other thing, is that Americans may not be used to it because in the United States, you don't, it's journalistic activity that's protected, right? Yeah. The constitute rather than it's not that you have to be a card carrying member of some journalistic guild to be recognized as a journalist in the United States. Obviously, if you want to be in the White House press corps, you want to turn certain events, you'll need to get press accreditation. And there may be hoops you've got to jump through and it may be easier if you're a member of an establishment outlet, etc. But um, to get into court and what have you, you don't. Whereas over here, they are obsessed with things like you know, uh, where's your press card? And the press card right. that they're used to seeing will be the press card that UK journalists have as a result of their membership of, of two of the major unions here. Because if yeah. you're a member of the a journalistic union here, part of that, you, you get your press card. Um, in fact, that's the reason why I first joined the National Union of Journalists. Yeah. Outside of any other I really reason, hope was, was for I really hope part. that they get this figured out in short order. Again, it is Friday. Um, and so mm. I know that Stefania Marizzi uh, tweeted out that it's Friday evening in Italy, just one working day before a crucial hearing on Julian Assange. And we journos have no clue on whether we will be allowed to attend or watch the hearing. That's just uh, so frustrating, I'm sure, as journalists. This is a major case. It is going to require quite a bit of work. And especially if you're trying to uh, cover it, you know, via video link, that's going to take some mm. um, effort. And the idea that they're leaving this to such a last minute thing is just um, not surprising, but frustrating. So listen, we have to take a quick break. We're yeah. going to get some headlines. Hang tight. We're going to be back here on today's News Talk. Welcome. Welcome. Coming up, important news. TNT Radio News. And that's the truth. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Former President Donald Trump criticized Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's courtroom testimony regarding allegations of an inappropriate relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. 
Salme Khalizad, the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan, testified before the House Foreign Affairs Committee, revealing that President Biden rejected recommendations to make the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan conditional on a political agreement of the retention of a counterterrorism force. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. All right, we are here joined by Mohammed Almazi, who is a fantastic journalist who will be covering the upcoming uh, Assange hearings on the 20th and 21st for The Dissenter. Uh, please go check out The Dissenter. Kevin does fantastic work. Everybody over there does. Uh, but as I mentioned, Kevin Gastola has uh, been on the Assange case uh, since before it was even the Assange case. So, Mohammed, I also wanted to ask you because I know you have a background in the in law, your a legal background. Um, can you explain to people? Because I feel like every time I'm trying to explain what these two hearings are, I'm making it more convoluted than it needs to be. Can you explain what this process is on the 20th and 21st? What these hearings are? Sure. I'm just going to check quickly how much time we've got. All right. Nice. Um, so uh, I don't know how much update or background your or what your viewers or listeners may recall, right? So in relation to the case, but uh, in this country, and certainly in relation to the extradition treaty with the United States, um, there is a presumption in favor of extraditing somebody. So all the Americans typically have to show is that uh, they've identified an individual who's the correct individual, it's not a different person of the same name, that they've... Um, alleged to have committed an offense which has a an equivalent offense here in the UK and maybe one or two other things and then it's up to that person to be able to argue why they shouldn't be extradited so it's if you like a reverse burden of proof right because it's not a trial and it's just a hearing and typically there might be a one-day hearing or two-day hearing uh, obviously, in Julian's case, uh, it was much longer than that because of the complexity of it and all the various implications in terms of freedom of speech and so forth. So the judge ultimately and, and all extradition hearings are heard by a judge in a magistrate's court and in the area that we're in, that was Westminster Magistrates Court. And uh, the curse uh, the judge who heard the case was uh, District Judge Vanessa Baratzer. And when it came to the end, she ruled that he couldn't be extradited because she believed uh, she was convinced that there was a substantial risk of suicide as a result of a his being on the aut autism spectrum, albeit the high functioning end, and b the conditions that he'd be held in within a prison in the United States, both doing detention, pre-trial detention, and post-trial detention should he be convicted. All the other arguments that were presented by the defense, because that was an argument that was presented by the defense, all the other arguments were rejected, that um, there's, there, there's proof that this is a politically motivated prosecution, that the offense itself is a political offense, and the extradition treaty between the UK and the US prohibits extradition for, uh, for political offenses that he won't couldn't get a fair trial because it'd be in the eastern district of virginia 
where the jury would be a national security jury, right? Um, literally, if you look at the catchment area for jurors in the Eastern District of Virginia, where he's indicted, and Snowden is also indicted, Jeffrey Sterling, I think, was also indicted there, John Kiriakou was also indicted there. And there's a reason why they're indicted there, because if, if, if federal prosecutors can indict you in any federal jurisdiction, right? They indict them there because the jury either work for or have family members who work for the CIA, Homeland Security, FBI. It's literally a national security uh, catchment area. There's no other reason to live there. Um, and what were the other reasons? Oh, right. And that obviously that this prosecution would be a gross violation of freedom of speech, freedom of press, um, that he's being prosecuted for legitimate journalistic activity. All those other arguments were rejected. Right. By the judge. She only she only refused to deport him or, or refused to grant his extradition on health grounds. The Americans appealed that the health grounds and they won um, on the basis that they granted some assurances saying, oh, we promise that we won't subject him to these special administrative measures, the solitary confinement, etc. Although there was a caveat, unless he says or does something that would uh, justify us doing so. Amazingly. The judges in that appeal, which was also at the high court, because this appeal that's coming up now is also at the high court, they uh, amazingly um, accepted those those uh, qualified assurances, even though they accepted the lower court's uh, judge's uh, ruling, finding her finding a fact that there was a substantial risk of suicide. So you're basically saying it's, it's OK to subject him to conditions that create a substantial risk of suicide so long as he says or does something that would justify the Americans then, you know, uh, imposing these conditions. And that is outrageous. And unfortunately, they did not grant permission. Uh, they did not certify that as a ground for appeal to the Supreme Court because they wanted to appeal that point. They're saying you are now creating a loophole which would authorize effectively torture. Right. Subjecting somebody to conditions that would bring about their suicide. And that's prohibited under UK law. But uh, it was never allowed to go up to the Supreme Court. So now that so that was as a result of the American government's appeal. Right. They won on the health grounds based on assurances. So then the ball was back in Julian's court. To appeal all the grounds that he originally lost on at uh, Vanessa Baratzer's uh, uh, Westminster Magistrates Court. It's a politically motivated prosecution, political offense, a violation of freedom of the press, freedom of the speech, uh, freedom of speech, and so forth, and the extradition treaty point, which I, which I have already mentioned. Um, and so they did uh, at, in this country. I imagine it's similar in the states. I, I can't recall because it's quite late here now. Before you can appeal, you have to request permission to appeal. And when you request permission to appeal, you are nonetheless presenting your appeal grounds as you would in the actual appeal. OK, so they did that and it was rejected what they call what's called here on the papers, as in it wasn't an oral hearing. There was a judge which received written submissions from the U.S. government and from Julian's lawyers, and he rejected it. If I recall, it was like a one page rejection. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then half of that document, he complained about how many pages. He was like, oh, it's 80 pages, this appeal. This is much too long, right? And it's like, okay, yeah. so you don't even care about the implications of the case? This is like the most significant assault on free press in my lifetime, perhaps even longer than that. It's just, This is a major significant case. This is about a one country being able to apply its domestic criminal laws to 
extraterritorially, right, against somebody who's not based in the United States, who's not a U.S. citizen, for journalistic activity they engaged in while also not being based in the United States. Yeah. Um, imagine if the Chinese were doing that or the Russians were doing that, right, saying, oh, you publish articles based on government documents uh, alleging war crimes or what have you by, say, Russia and Ukraine, and I'm based in Britain, and then I go and visit a country that has an extradition treaty with Russia, and the Russian government seeks my extradition where I face 170 years in prison for violating their espionage laws, even though it's accepted that I've never actually hacked anything. I merely received documents, which is what journalists and publishers do all the time. So, so that judge rejected it. So they've, they've appealed, they're appealing that rejection for permission. So they're asking once again for permission. And this time around, they're saying, okay, we want an oral hearing. And um, that oral hearing was granted. And I think both the U.S. government and the defense lawyers, if I understand correctly, both agreed that if there is to be an oral hearing, it needs to be at least two days. Yes. So now, during these two days, they're going to present their appeal arguments to convince, and this is as it was explained to me, right, to convince the judges, these two senior judges at the high court, that they should grant permission to appeal. If they refuse, right? So so they've asked, hey, may we please appeal these grounds that Julian <laughs> lost on originally? No. Yes. Okay. Once again, may we please uh, Pretty appeal, please, then. may yeah. we appeal. I mean, appeal. it's just so, that's why I think I every time I, I try to explain it, I sound ridiculous because I'm like, well, he appealed, that was denied. So now he's appealing the denial of the appeal. And it just sounds so silly. But that's, I mean, that really was essentially what it is. So uh, listen, we got to yeah, take another true. quick break. We have to take another oh. quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be right back here on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Huh. The team that has as one of its captains the alleged boyfriend of the world's biggest music superstar who just happened to interrupt a concert tour to jet from Japan to Las Vegas to watch the game, won the game in overtime after being down double digits. Was it on the up and up? I don't know. Guess what? I don't care. I didn't watch the game. I haven't seen the last five Super Bowls after having watched every Super Bowl from Super Bowl three on. I used to be highly invested in the NFL, NHL, NBA, in Major League Baseball. But all of them, including my beloved Yankees, from the New York nanosecond that Aaron Judge's knee hit the turf, are dead to me. Done and dusted. I don't care. Haven't seen a game. Haven't seen a standings don't care. They lost me. And I'm not the only one. So this big romance for the ages that everybody's trying to gin up, is it real? Probably not. Does it matter? It shouldn't. Let's focus on the things that are really important. Let's focus on the things that they're trying to use games like this to distract us. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk. TNT. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. 
This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. We are joined here by Mohamed Al-Mazi, who is a journalist uh, who will be covering the Assange hearings on the 20th and 21st for the dissenter. Also, quick shout out to my friend Paula. Uh, she's been on the show before. I just happened to check Twitter there during the break, and she is live tweeting uh, this show, as she often does when I have Assange-related shows. So I just want to give her a quick shout out since I know she's listening. Uh, so, Mohamed, you were just telling us a little bit about um, uh, what these hearings actually mean, uh, and it's essentially um, a pretty please, can we appeal? Um, and uh, I think what's... Uh, what What's been discussed here, um, I've talked about this with Gabriel Shipton recently, this is really the kind of last, uh, the last effort, right? This is kind of the Hail Mary pass. And if this request for appeal is denied, um, he then could essentially be extradited, I mean, really within hours of that decision, correct? Uh, in theory, although uh, there's also a potential appeal to the European Court of Human Rights, and I yes. think they'll seek an interim measure from the European Court, is that Rule 39, uh, uh, whereby they ask the European Court for an interim measure, sort of an emergency measure. They only give it in exceptional circumstances where there is a clear and immediate threat uh, uh, of irreversible harm, which you could argue would be the case here. And uh, if they do issue that, then it should be respected because the United Kingdom is still a member of the Council of Europe, which is the body that that founded uh, uh, the European Convention on Human Rights and the European Court of Human Rights System. In fact, the UK is a founding member of both the, the Convention on Human Rights and, and the Council of Europe. So uh, we do know that the Tory party, that's the right wing party here or the more right wing party here, um, has publicly stated repeatedly they would like to withdraw from the Council of Europe and abolish the Human Rights Act because um, they don't believe in it, uh, which is amazing. I mean, uh, I, I tried to explain to people, imagine if you had, say, Donald Trump or a Republican or any politician saying we need to abolish the Bill of Rights. Um, and, uh, you know, they, what they want to do, they say, is replace it with the Bill of Rights and Responsibilities, which sounds ominous. Um, presumably <laughs> yeah. it would only relate to not to British citizens then rather than to human beings, you know, so what the right of due process, the right of a fair trial or what have you, uh, perhaps only for citizens of the United, St United Kingdom rather than um, any human being, which is the whole point of universal human rights or the European Declaration uh, on human uh, of human rights. But anyway. Yeah. That's all hypothetical because we're still here a member. In theory, could the government decide to bundle him up immediately and send him? Sure, but that would depend on whether or not the judges kind of go along with it because no doubt the indication will be made to the to the judges in the case that they intend on appealing uh, to the European Court of Human Rights and they might be able to obtain a stay uh, from these judges if they lose. So. The way it works is, and once again, this is how it's been explained to me. Um, if they win the permission hearing, there may be then a further hearing granted to, to for the arguments to be further aired out in greater detail, right? If they lose this, then like you say, that's it within the United Kingdom. All they've got left is the European Court of Human Rights, where I would say his chances are the best there because... Yeah. The judiciary there is more independent from the UK government um, and the, the judges will come from all of the members of, of the Council of Europe. So there'll be a British judge there, but a French, uh, uh, until recently a Russian, 
uh, but Russia was effectively kicked out of the Council of Europe uh, after invaded Ukraine, which I think is pretty shocking because all that does is remove an appellate court for Russians and people who live in Russia to appeal to. In fact, Ukraine was appealing to the European Court of Human Rights, asking for certain interim measures, and the European Court was issuing orders um, based on those applications. Uh, Alexei Navalny, uh, the, the quote-unquote opposition figure, the anti-corruption figure in Russia, who we, who died. Did he die today or yesterday yeah, in prison? Today. Um, yeah. I don't know if people recall that um, he had said he was poisoned and he wanted to get treatment in Germany. And he appealed to the European Court on uh, on an emergency basis to have the right to go to Germany for treatment. And the European Court said, yes, to the, you have to let him go. And the Russians let him go. Right. So yeah. they they now that they've been pushed out, which I think is purely for propaganda purposes, is to make the Russians look bad. But how many people yes. have paid attention to that? Right. People paid more <laughs> attention probably to the, the, the more well-known things like um russian cats now can't compete in this international <laughs> cat festival and li literally that was reported on far more i know right, on the i know i remember that. um and oh. i remember thinking how like tragic that is so so anyway th there'll be judges from a bunch of different uh member states and we already know that the council of europe different branches of the council of europe have come out against his extradition so yes. I, I put it this way, A, because they are a human rights body, they are more likely to take the stuff more seriously, if you like, than uh, a judge here who, who is more, more part of the establishment, if that makes sense, who's closer sure. to the halls of power here. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, all the judges become judges at the European Court because their countries select them. But there's more of a balance because they'll be from a bunch of different countries. And uh, that's what they do all day is look at human rights implications. And also, I think the pressure will be different on them there in Europe because there's a more favorable atmosphere there, um, including, like I say, from the Council of Europe's parliamentary arm. So the Council of Europe has a judicial branch, the European Court, and it has a, a like a Congress, a parliamentary arm, which is made up of members of parliament of all the different countries. So once a year, they'll meet up and they'll debate and pass resolutions on specific issues. So these are all uh, like elected members of the French, um, of the German Bundestag, of the French uh, parliament, of the British parliament, etc. And there'll be some members of different countries that all come together and they'll debate. And they have at least twice passed resolutions calling for uh, calling Julian Assange's prosecution a threat to press freedom and calling mm -hmm. for him not to be extradited. So if there are, you know, we don't like to think of judges being influenced by political forces, but since there is definitely a political force, political pressure for him to be extradited, it's good for there to be that countervailing force to help at least balance it out so that the judges can consider the case on its merits and not be overly persuaded by, you know, the relationship of a country with the United States, for example, like in Britain's case. Um, yeah. I mean, if you if you read the judgments, it is kind of surprising to me. I don't know why it is, but it is. The extent to which they just don't seem in their decisions, the ones where they've rejected his his arguments in the lower courts, d don't seem to really appreciate the the gravity of the case of, of its implications, the gravity of any country being able to say, we don't like what this journalist has published. So send him over to our country yes. where he will face decades in prison 
for under a law that doesn't even have um there is no public interest defense under the Espionage Act. So you can't, your motivations don't matter, right? right. What is in the documents do not matter. It's, it's what's known as a strict liability offense, sort of like speeding. It doesn't matter if you thought you were going at 30 miles an hour when in fact you were going at 40 and that violated, if you violated the speeding rules or they, they that's it, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's then down to you to try. There aren't really any. Daniel Ellsberg discovered that when he was going through his case during the Pentagon Papers trial under Richard Nixon. And he was the leaker. Julian Assange didn't leak anything. He's, he's the publisher. Yes. Um, and uh, I interviewed Daniel um, uh, Ellsberg uh, a couple of years before he passed away and for a piece that I wrote comparing the two cases. And he was telling me, he said, when I, I, I reserved much of my motivations when I was speaking to the press on the basis that I thought I'd be able to tell the jury this. I'll wait till mm -hmm. I'm in court. And he said, when I was in court, every time I'd start to discuss what was actually in the documents, the prosecution would stand up and say, uh, objection, that's irrelevant. And the judge would say, yeah, sustained. Uh, uh, because it isn't. In fact, the only reason Ellsberg Ellsberg walked free was because his case collapsed because of so much illegality of the Nixon administration, which went in overdrive trying to ensure his conviction. So they ended up sabotaging the case for themselves. So apparently, one of um, Nixon's senior advisors went to the judge behind the scenes and tried to, uh, to told him, if you guarantee his conviction, um, even though it's a jury trial, but they're obviously judges have a lot of influence, a lot of power. If you guarantee his conviction, Nixon knows that you want to be an FBI, the director of the FBI, he'll appoint you as the next uh, director of the FBI. And apparently that was the straw that brought the camels back. Ellsberg is very lucky that that judge, that was too yeah. much for that judge. I mean, yes. he's an establishment judge, but but he's like, if he had a different judge, it might have worked out in the end. And so he, well, he and there's so the case of prejudice. There was so much. And and frankly, it's astonishing to me that this hasn't happened in the Assange case, because frankly, there has been so many more violations of Assange and his rights in this. Uh, again, I use the, the word case very loosely here, because in my opinion, they do not have a case against Julian Assange. And frankly, I think they know that. Um, but the way that his rights have been violated throughout the course of this entire situation over, what is it, 13, 14 years now, the way that, I mean, he was spied on while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy. And that includes conversations with his legal team. Uh, that is a great gross violation of his human rights. I mean, imagine you're going into court against the most powerful empire on planet Earth and they were spying on your legal discussions. I mean, that is insane. That alone, that one piece alone, in my opinion, should be enough yeah. to light this case on fire. And yet here we are. It yeah. continues. And I'm also glad that you brought up the fact that this is really it. Uh, uh, the implications here. It, this is a precedent setting case um, and it opens up a Pandora's box where um, any country anywhere can now use the Assange precedent and say, um, you know, well, we're justified and and seeking extradition of this journalist because they published something we don't like and that's terrifying Muhammad like that's crazy mm -hmm. to me that we are in that situation where this is even being discussed or that and frankly uh if we're going to talk about the way his rights have been violated um there's solid reporting to suggest that the United States was plotting to assassinate him while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy so the idea that uh, uh the UK court system is even considering extraditing him to this country when that reporting is out there and it is uh you know a pretty solid reporting reporting with named and unnamed sources. Uh, it's just crazy to me that, that that this is where we find ourselves. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, and also thank you for making the distinction between whistleblower and publisher. Um, I feel like those waters get muddied a bit uh, in these conversations when it comes to Assange. I feel like often people want to lump him in as a whistleblower. 
two very different things. He's not a whistleblower. Um, he is a publisher. He did not himself leak any information. He took information that was leaked to him and published it for public viewing. Uh, two very different um, uh, legal ramifications. All of that should be looked yeah. at very separately. Um, so yeah, it's just so much, yeah. Muhammad. It's crazy whistleblowers and leakers work at the institutions typically yes. that they are whistleblowing or leaking about right i mean the new no one refers to the new york times as a whistleblowing uh, right. or people who or the editor of the new york times or the publisher as a whistleblower i mean not unless they're whistleblowing about something happening uh, inside right. the new york times right <laughs> right um but uh, and that's just been done deliberately i mean you don't really hear him being referred to as a hacker anymore i i haven't watched much american news recently but it's amazing how many years that was going on because mm -hmm. he is a computer he is a technologist right he's very computer savvy he's very like gifted like especially gifted when it came to computer coding and understanding computing and when he was younger when he lived in australia i think he did do some hacking he did. Right, uh, what was described as as hacking, and in fact, as a part of his punishment, or he agreed to assist the police with tracking down uh, pedophiles. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is this is you know very long time ago, but it would be like if I had stolen a car, and then eventually I go to law school and I get a law degree and I practice law, and then years later I'm prosecuted with something, and I'm constantly referred to as uh, Muhammad Al Mazi, the car thief. Right. Constantly, right, right. I mean, this yeah. we don't normally do that, or go to medical school, or whatever it is. So yeah. he was a member of a journalistic union. He published like amazing exposés, um, but it was there is this sort of insider outsider mentality. I mean, now things have changed a bit because there's been more and more a because of the lobbying, right, and b because there's been more and more awareness, including within I think the legacy and establishment press of the implications conceivably for them. I think for a long time, people thought, well, we will be protected. Yes. Not really understanding that even establishment journalists can find themselves on the receiving end, right? Uh, um, yes, it may take longer for that to happen. It may be more likely that you're targeted if you are not within the legacy press, but it is incredibly naive to think that it is only them, right? And and yeah. there's a, chill, a chilling effect that you just toe the line more and more. You're more and more afraid or nervous about what you say, what you don't say, what you report on. And um, it's not just about theoretical. I mean, that's been happening for years, right? Yeah. And the, the the thing about this case is, for those who don't really understand, they just think it's just a normal case and he should be extradited to, 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 to face a jury and make his case there, not realizing that he won't be allowed to make his case there. Yeah. Because they're gonna, I mean, literally the, the US prosecution could stay on day one we accept that no one was harmed as a result of a publication. We accept that he did it for great reasons and noble reasons, but that's irrelevant because under this section of this law, possession, unauthorized possession of national defense information is uh, uh, punishable by up to 10 years uh, in prison. Yep. And disclosure is the same thing. And here you go, evidence it. that, yeah then they just that's have to it. argue proof that it's national defense information and that he possessed it and that he disclosed it, which he clearly And that's what's possess. so frustrating yeah. about this case is that people are so misinformed um, and it's very intentional. I think pe people just don't understand and that's why uh, coverage like yours and others uh, are so valuable. So I'm very happy to know that you will be in the courtroom. Again, uh, Mohammed's gonna be covering this for The Dissenter. You can check that out at thedissenter.org. Please go follow and support them. 
Uh, like I said, the crew over there does fantastic work and we need to support independent journalism now more than ever. Uh, Muhammad, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you and your work as always. Um, I'll be back on Monday with a whole new host of shows for you. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shades right after this here on TNT.